welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Isaiah chapter number nine, and we're going to read verse number six. I'm sure you've never heard of this scripture before. Certainly not at Christmas time, no. Amen. Isaiah chapter nine. In verse number six, I uh, usually on our Christmas service, I will kind of just rehearse and detail the, um, the Christmas story of, of the birth of Christ. But um, today, I want to kind of break from that tradition and just kind of preach to you about um, more of a scope of eternity and the power of Christ's coming. The revelation of his name and the etymology of that name and digging into that name and what it means. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Would you read this? You know, back in the day, we used to always have to read the scriptures out loud. I don't know if y'all remember that. Everybody brought their Bible to church and we read from our physical Bibles and you underlined them and circled them and wrote notes in the margin. I thought it was a sin to write in the Bible until I saw my grandma writing in the Bible. And I realized I could write in the Bible, but then I found out it, it had to be spiritual things. You write. You couldn't play tic-tac-toe in the margin. I found that out uh, with a thump to the head. Amen. But it wasn't even in the margins. It was in the maps. So I didn't know that the maps were divinely inspired of God. But <laughs> So we're going to do this old style. I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to read this together in unison. One, two, three. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince. What a God. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hey Amen. I'm so glad I serve a God like that. I want to preach to you this afternoon with your help and the help of the Lord. Five names for the Christmas child. Five names for the Christmas child. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, mighty God, for your presence that we feel in this place. Lord, for every song of worship that exalted you, for every tongue that confessed you as Lord in this place. Pray, God, that you would touch our hearts, our minds, our understanding. Lord, enlighten us today. Renew us with fresh revelation of your word. Lord, I pray that it go forth in healing would come back. I pray it would go forth, God, and salvation would be brought, restoration, because there is nobody like you, Jesus, and we thank you today in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Would you give the Lord another hand clap of praise this this afternoon? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
as you're being seated, look at somebody and tell them there ain't nobody like Jesus. Boy, I love that ain't in there. I heard y'all saying that right. You say, Pastor, it's there isn't anyone like Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. There ain't nobody like Jesus. My teacher used to tell us all the time, ain't, ain't a word. And I thought, lady, you're in the wrong part of the country to try to teach us. Ain't, ain't a word. She had me one time, it's a true story. She had me get up and write on the board 100 times that ain't is not a word. I got it twice. And then when she turned around some minutes later, I was about 50 something times through it. And it turned into ain't, ain't a word. Ain't, ain't a word. Ain't, ain't a word. <laughs> Amen. But I'm glad I know who Jesus is this morning. And there's nobody like my God. Amen. The names given in scripture to our Lord, they're highly significant names. There are many of them because one or a dozen or very many names could never really tell the wonders of him and who he is and his mighty works. Uh, some have said that there are more than 500 proper names and descriptive terms used in scripture to try and convey God to us. And though we had 10,000 tongues, we still could not tell how awesome that he is. Amen. The old song says, if, if the heavens were of parchment made and the oceans filled with ink, we could not begin to describe the goodness of our God. And names in the Bible had, had much significant. And today we're going to talk about uh, five of those names. That's what we are going to be preaching about. As you are well aware, names of men today have distinguished uh, or, or have ceased from distinguishing them from other people. Uh, the name doesn't mean anymore what it used to mean. It, or it doesn't give it doesn't give identity to that person anymore as far as their characteristics or their mission in life. Some time ago, I read about a man who named his child, he named her Dora, simply because he had a rich kinsman uh, that had promised to give the child a rich gift if she were called by that name. Her, had the father inquired of this, he would have learned that Dora is an abbreviated form of Theodora, which means the gift of God. Names today don't, don't, don't give the, the significant details of a life like it used to. Henry is a name that was common enough a few generations ago. Henry means home ruler and it means ever rich. The name speaks of one who manages his home wisely and well and understands how to possess and have wealth and riches. Yes, there are some of us here today in this building that we know a Henry or two that does not exemplify the meaning of that name. The name James means superior, yet how many bearing that name James have not lived up to its meaning? History is filled with men by the name of James that were far inferior to the meaning of its name. But in Bible times, it was not so. Among the Hebrews, names had a very definite significance. Abraham, the father of the nation, left the idolatry of Chaldea and erected altars to the one true and living God. And it was the Lord 
Lord himself that changed the patriarch's name from Abram, which means a high father, to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Abraham became the father of the Israelites, of the Ishmaelites, and of the Midianites, and many other nations of history, and some of those nations exist today. Amen. In a wider and more spiritual sense, he became the father of us all who are born again believers, because the Bible declares, if any man is in Christ, he is of the seed of Abraham. Today, we are of the lineage of Abraham because of a spiritual rebirth. Amen. Pharaoh's daughter, uh, just bear with me a while. We're going to talk about names. Pharaoh's daughter gave Moses a name. And the name Moses means drawn out of the water because she drew him out of the crocodile infested waters of the Nile in Egypt. And she gave him the name Moses. Jacob's name is signifying by its definition that he is a supplanter. That he is, and if you dig deeper, even just somewhat deeper into his name, it not only means supplanter, but in its most modern vernacular means a con man or a con artist, one who takes the place of another. But God changed his name from, from Jacob to Israel, meaning a prince with God. Isn't it amazing how just one contact with the Lord, just, just one brief moment with God can change not only who you're going to be, but it can change the identity from who you were. Amen. When Jacob saw the ladder that reached from earth all the way up to heaven, he called that place there where he saw the Lord Bethel. Amen. Which means the house of God. Then later when he wrestled with an angel all night long until it smote the very hollow of his thigh, he called that place Penel, which means the face of God. Amen. All 12 of Jacob's sons were born, then given names suggestive of certain conditions existing in their birth. Samuel's name literally means asked of God. David's name literally means beloved. Because in those days, the name meant everything. You were identified by that name. And when you were called that name, everyone knew the definition of that name. And you either had to live up to that name or live down to that name. Imagine introducing Jacob to your friend. This is the con man. This is how it was. Anyone that encountered him. Imagine Ichabod whose name was the glory of God hath departed. How would you like to take him to a birthday party? Hey everybody, this is God's left us. Amen. David's name signifies beloved. We, 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 we could go on endlessly and illustrate different people of the Bible from the Hebrew significance of their name that have been attached to them. But, but these few suffice to illustrate, even, even amongst the Israelites, the importance of a proper name and how God felt about that and how the people felt about that. God has always been a people. God has always had a people that had a name and, and had importance in their name. Therefore, 
where we were deeply impressed by the many beautiful names that God gave to us concerning himself. For example, when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush, he called his name, I am that I am, indicating that he is the self-existing one, that he is the one that has always been, will, al will always be present, and will always be in the future. He's the self-existing one. He is, I am that I am. Not he was, not he shall be. To say that God was or to say that God will be is to improperly identify him because God is. He is the I am that I am. Before the first light hung in the starry sky, he was God already. It's, it's very difficult for our finite minds to try to grasp an infinite God. And if you approach God merely in the realm of intellect, it will always leave you falling short because it takes faith to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You will not find him in the books of mathematics. You will not find him in the pages of the philosopher, but you must seek him with a heart of faith. You must seek after him because our natural mind cannot comprehend a God that has always been. Scientists now tell us, amen, and I, I, I told you before, I, I, I probably read things way out of my league and way out of my understanding, but I enjoy reading uh, books and listening to um, uh, uh, professors of quantum physics and 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 uh, astrophysics and I, I love to hear about the universe and I know many people there are people that get caught up in that and they lose their faith in God because they listen so much amen and rely so much in the scientists who say there is no God amen but for me it reaffirms everything my Bible tells me about God now the scientists have said brother Chase that that the big bang was not really a big bang at all. This is the new consensus among scientists. So when they say it's a scientific consensus, hold your breath, it'll change. Look, that it's not a big bang, that, that the universe, that the universe began a man in dark matter and power about the size of a tennis ball. I don't know how they figured it was the size of a tennis ball, but all of this heat and this energy began to ball in this dark matter. And out of that dark matter, it really didn't bang and it really wasn't big. It was a quiet release that, it, that went forward from there. Amen. Then, then I got to tell you once again, I still believe in the big bang theory. Actually, the big bang is not a theory. It's a fact. God spoke. Bang. It happened. That's exactly the way it went. Amen. And, and so they, they believe that, that, that from nothing came something. And it takes more faith to believe that something came from nothing than it does to believe that there has always been an I am that I am a self-existing one. It take, because if you believe that, 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 that complex life forms both in this earth and in places around the world where, or around the galaxy, whether it is microscopic bacteria or anything that life that is all throughout this universe happen to merely exist by existence by your own logic then you must confess that if a tornado hit a junkyard by the time it left there is a possibility it could create a very modern and scientific Boeing 747 airplane and it would function 
By that same logic, you must believe that if I took a watch and I bashed it to pieces and I shook it in a bag long enough that eventually it would go back to being not only the watch that it was, but far more advanced than the broken watch that you, in other words, it takes more faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith to believe in nothing than it does to believe in something. And the God that I serve is the I am that I am, the self-existing one, the God who stepped on the edge of nothing and spoke and things began to happen. How long has God been around? Amen. Further than your mind could ever comprehend. How long has God been? Much longer than your mind can begin to imagine until that self-existing one stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke into the blackness and the vacuum of space. And that same God said, let there be light. And when he spoke it somewhere in the celestials, all of a sudden there was a burning ball of fire, which is called our son and he placed it strategically in the part of the galaxy by which he designed us and then he flung stars all around it and he placed the moon at the edge of our gravitational pull that would give us our seasons and our tides because God is an exacting God move the moon if you move the moon a quarter mile away or a quarter mile closer we wouldn't have seasons but God stuck it right in the right place Oh, hallelujah. Because he's a self-existing one. He's not the God that was. He's not the God that's going to be. He is the God that is. He is the God that is present right now with you at this very moment. Amen. At 439 and 28 seconds. He is the same God that is here right now. But he is also still standing at the moment you were birthed into this world and breathed your first breath. He's the same God that is here. The same God is there. And he's the same God that was at the manger. He's the same God that was at Jericho's walls. He's the same God that was with Moses floating in the river. He's the same God that was with Abraham. He is there right now. He is present there now and he's present here. But he's not only there, he's not only here but he's also in my tomorrow. He's in my cancer diagnosis. He's in my heart issues. He's in my relationship problems. He's in the brokenness of my life. Because he is the self-existing one. He exists in all points equally at the same time. He is still in the moment of our past and spanning himself into our future because he's always been and he shall always be. When the Lord Jesus himself was on the earth, he applied this name of deity to himself many times by using the I am. Somebody say, I am. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. And in John 8 and 58, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Hallelujah. 
His very name Jesus means Jehovah has become Savior. Messiah is the Hebrew for the Greek word Christ. The Lamb of God speaks to us of his sacrificial work on the cross. Lord, amen, is a name for deity. Jehovah means the self-existent one who reveals himself. Son of man emphasizes his deity while son of God emphasizes his deity while son of man emphasizes his humanity. As the eternal word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, he told forth the very thoughts of God toward us and he was without sin. Amen. Redeemer speaks of how he bought us from the penalty of everlasting judgment and he purchased us with his own blood. He is then... He is then called the King of Glory and Shiloh, which means peacemaker, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. These three names signify his atoning work on the cross, his intercessory work at the throne of grace, and his kingly glory. He is called the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, the chiefest among 10,000, the one altogether lovely, all reminding us of not only his beauty, but his absolute eternal perfection. He is called the Nazarene, the carpenter, and the servant of Jehovah. These tell us his humble, lowly obedience to his Father's will. I'm so glad that I know who this God is. Whole volumes have been written on the many beautiful names that have been given to the one true God, but these, these will suffice to illustrate the importance of that the scriptures attach to the names of our Lord. They will serve here today to, to prove to us that the prophet Isaiah and the people to whom he wrote realized something of the far-reaching implication associated with the names given to the promised Messiah in the message we are considering today in the five names for the Christmas child. No doubt, no doubt that night, amen, they ran out and rang out a bell in eternity that still chimes into today. Good tidings of great joy to a people that set in darkness. Can I tell you this afternoon, no matter what depression you set in, no matter what anxiety has your mind in a vice, I've come to give you good tidings of great joy. It doesn't matter the pit that you sit in. It doesn't matter the sickness that's racking your body. I've come to tell you there is good tidings of great joy. They spoke to a people sitting in darkness. Amen. For they heralded the coming of a great light. Even the one whose name shall yet to be called. Amen. By all men everywhere. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. And the prince of peace. Like a ringing of the bell in a dark night. They send their clear chimes down through the ages. Resounding and resonating even now. Two thousand and years later, promising a kingdom wherein dwelleth righteousness, promising a golden age yet to be ushered in by him whose promise shall never fail. As the chimes of Christmas echo in 2022, it is still ringing true. He is the Lord God 
Jehovah. He is the I am that I am. That certain sound is still clear in our spiritual ears right now. Amen. That he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. It is ringing out even today, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Can I tell you, God wills good to you. God knows the thoughts he thinks of you and that you have an expected end. As we list the five names of the Christmas child, I submit to you, first of all, this afternoon, let us consider the fact that his name shall be called Wonderful. The word wonderful is one of those compound words, wonder and full, and to get its definition, you must flip it around, full of wonder. Because to understand that God is wonderful, you must acknowledge he is full of wonder. Before the heavens and the earth were created, he was wonderful in his being, in his glory, and he was wonderful in his beauty. In the Old Testament times, he was wonderful in his patience and his love with a sinful creation. How faithfully he led and taught and chastened them throughout the centuries. Amen. Because he is a wonderful God. Also, he was wonderful in his birth, for he was born as no other human being had ever been born for you see Jehovah God is his father amen he was conceived by the Holy Ghost the Bible says he is the only begotten son of God oh what a beautiful birth when God incarnate came in flesh a beautiful star raised in the east hallelujah and the Magi searched for him as they crossed wastelands and deserts and barren lands until Finally, it led them to his crib. Angels filled the night sky as they began to sing in perfect pitch, four-part harmony, and began to sing to the humble shepherds there that night as they declared unto them, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In other words, God said, I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to redeem you. I've not come with a sword of judgment but I've come to offer to you salvation for such an appointed time the humble shepherds and the studied scholars worshipped him in this lowly manger he was wonderful at his birth for at his birth we see the great diversity to which to which Christ brings to the world for at the side of that manger a man was a poor carpenter a man at the side of that manger were smelly animals but also kneeling there was shepherds who reeked of their occupation and there were wise men who were among the wealthiest on the earth because no matter who you are no matter what your background no matter what your pedigree or your social status it doesn't matter we are all equal at the foot of the cross and at the side of a manger. He wasn't only wonderful in his birth, but he was also wonderful in his life. 
He lived a holy, sinless life on earth. Amen. The Father spoke more than once from heaven, saying in Matthew 3 and 17 and Matthew 17 and 5, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus himself could say in John 8 and 29, I do always do those things that please him. His apostles spoke of him with authority using such terms as he was, quote, in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Paul wrote in Hebrews 7 and 26 and said he is holy he is harmless he is undefiled separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens our Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful and he was wonderful in his life not only was he wonderful in his life, amen, but he was also wonderful in his works look at somebody and say he does a wonderful work not only because he was God could he perform his mighty deeds moreover but because a man he always was is now and ever shall be the God of love he had compassion on the multitudes and the Bible tells us he healed their sick he opened the eyes of the blind he raised the dead back to life he cast out demons he comforted the brokenhearted, and he forgave sins and only God could do those things things as the creator he manifested his power over nature turning water into wine he confounded even the laws of physics he stilled the tempest with three words peace be still and waters that were raging and about to sink a fishing vessel all of a sudden at the uh, paying obeisance to his word laid down and the sea became still as glass. And just to prove he had power even more than that, the Bible tells us at one point he came walking on the waves. And if you ever are confused about the identity of Christ, whether he is the fictitious second God and a Trinitarian Godhead, let me affirm to you, the Bible said, for God alone treadeth upon the waves of the sea. And when Jesus showed up walking on the water, he fulfilled the prophecy that God alone treadeth, walketh upon the seas. He not only could defy the laws of physics, he could defy the laws of quantum physics. When he took a few sardines and crackers, he blessed it and he fed over 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. He showed his power over nature. He showed his power over sickness. He showed his power over demons. And he showed power over death and sin because he was wonderful in his life. He was wonderful in his works in order to prove that he had every right. And he had all power to become our sin bearer. He had all power to become our king and our lords. Lord, it was not just enough that he was wonderful in birth, that he was wonderful in life, that he was wonderful wonderful in works, but he was also wonderful with his words. Even the officers who were sent by the Pharisaical council to take him prisoner, they could only reply in John 7 and 46, never has a man spake like this man. He always spoke the truth. He spoke the truth of God. He spoke of his plan of salvation. He always spoke the truth about the things to come. He always spoke the truth about man's moral and ethical obligation to God and his fellow man because he was wonderful with his words 
Even Simon Peter would say, where, where would we go? For thou hast the words of life. He was also wonderful in his death because no one else had ever died like him. A propitiatory sacrifice for sin. He died so that we could live. He died willingly and for lost souls. Amen. They didn't kill him. He laid down his life. For he said, no man taketh my life, only that I give it. Amen. I'm so glad that he was wonderful in his death. And honey, if you think his death was wonderful, you ought to stick around three more days. Because if he had a wonderful death, you need to know he had a wonderful resurrection in his glorified yet very real body Christ bore the keys of death hell and the grave amen he broke the bands of death robbing Satan of his mightiest weapons and that was death and hell he took them and arose from the grave declaring that now I have all power both in heaven and in earth and I know, I know it's become cliche, but I've come to tell you because he lives, we can live also. Not only shall his name be called wonderful, but the prophet said 750, depending on which authoritarian scholar you believe, somewhere between 750 to 1,000 years before the birth of Christ, he said he shall be called wonderful. Then he said he shall be called counselor. We need a counselor today. We may not even attempt to say that because in ages, in ages past, the world of men refuse and reject to accept him. Amen. As counsel. Instead, uh, David writes in Psalms chapter 2 in verse number 2, he talks about that the kings of the earth set themselves uh, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. There has always been a strategy to go against the counsel of God. Uh, the Bible also tells us in Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 25 it says, uh, the godless world crucified the only wise God our Savior even those of us who love him even those of us who truly want God's counsel amen all too often we fail to go to him first for wisdom we fail to go to him first for counsel and for guidance we'll turn to self help guides we'll turn to podcasts we'll turn to social media we'll even turn to each other but the one place we ought to go first is go to him who has our wisdom and him who is a perfect counselor. We are self-willed. We are impatient. We are forgetful of our utter dependence on him who does all things well. We used to sing an old song that, that should express, amen, the very beating of our spiritual heart when we used to say, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. My dependence on God doesn't, doesn't revolve around Sunday that I might get blessed. It doesn't revolve around Wednesday that I might get understanding of the word, but I need him every day that I live every step that I take every breath that is within me I need him 
But in the ages to come, it will not be so, for all men shall call him counselor. In his inherent worthiness, he has always been the only safe and true counselor, but never yet has the sinful world accepted him as such. Thousands of years of recorded human history are, are but the record of failure of sin on the part of mankind to do it his own way and to do it the way he feels is best. Amen. Nations and entire peoples rushing headlong to their doom because they forget that he is God and that he has all wisdom. This is why the Bible would say, blessed is the nation whose Lord is God because he gives all direction and guidance. But when Christ in that faithful day sits upon the throne of David, all men everywhere will ask who hath been his counselor. He shall judge in righteousness and equity. Amen. Isaiah 11 and 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He is the great counselor. He is the great counselor. And there will be a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. He said his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And then the third name that the prophet said, and I'm, I'm trying to move quickly here. Amen. Was he said he shall be called the Mighty God. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Almighty God revealed in flesh. He was Emmanuel, as they so beautifully sang. Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is the incarnation of God in frail flesh. As the God-man, he moved among men performing mighty miracles wherever he went. Then in his death, then in his death, it looked to the world as if his claims to deity had been proven false because now he's dead. The world thought he was a failure. They laughed and scorned because this so-called son of God was now rotting what they thought in a grave. But his resurrection foretold in the Old Testament by the man of Galilee himself proved for all time and eternity that Jesus of Nazareth was not a religious upstart, that he was not just some political revolutionary but that he was the almighty one the one into whose hands had been committed all power both in heaven and in earth after he resurrected he didn't just disappear he walked the earth 40 days he showed himself alive to those who loved him amen then in his ascension he added further proof that all his claims to deity would forever be established yet it will not be until he takes the reins of government in his omnipotent hands that the whole wide world will acknowledge him as the mighty God in the millennial reign when he sets up his throne on earth. The name, the name of our Lord takes us back to the days of Abraham where the patriarch first told that the God in whom we had, he had put his trust was El Shaddai. Everybody say El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the Hebrew word that, that, that means the God who is enough. The God who is enough. 
when Abraham was 99 years old that El Shaddai appeared unto him and said I am the almighty God El Shaddai walk before me and be thou perfect he declared in Genesis 17 and 1 at this meeting of the Lord with Abraham or with Abram the latter's name was changed to Abraham the token of the Abrahamic covenant was established and the birth of a son of praise was foretold in the ensuing year when he said walk before me and be thou perfect El Shaddai had said to Abram for such a walk with the almighty promised strength and companionship through no matter what he went through I'm so glad I know that my God is enough and Jehovah Jireh says he's not only enough but he is more than enough the mighty God, the mighty God, what a word. It symbolizes the source of all power, all majesty, and all might because he is almighty. Somebody shout, he's almighty. Amen. Christ, almighty power as the creator shaped the world into being because the Bible said in Colossians, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Amen. His voice brought order out of chaos. It brought light out of darkness. It brought life eternal out of death everlasting. It brought victory where there was defeat. It brought joy where there was sadness. It brought liberty to where there was bondage because there's no God like our God. He is the mighty God. He is the almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the question is to us on this Christmas service that we've got the answer today is how does, how does this manifestation of power help me in my life today? I'll tell you how because you've got to believe that he is. You've got to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that will diligently seek him. You've got to be able to understand, know and believe that the almighty God is able to keep my soul because he has redeemed me by his own precious blood. And since he has all power both in heaven and in earth, I can trust him with everything that concerns me knowing that Satan and all his minions cannot pluck me out of his almighty powerful hand. Amen. On my pilgrimage to heaven, I may stumble and I may fall, but underneath us are the everlasting arms of the almighty El Shaddai, who is God, and he is enough. Somebody shout, he's enough. Amen. The fourth name, the fourth name that we will, we will talk about for a moment is the name the everlasting father foretold of the coming of the one who was always both the begotten son and the everlasting father. When he was upon the earth, he told men that he and the father were one and the same. One and the same. 
our Lord came to manifest. Amen. The Father according to Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16. To Philip's request to Christ to show us the Father. Amen. Jesus said this in John chapter 14 and verse number 9. He said, Have I been so long with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father and how sayest thou then show us the Father? Because Jesus was telling them both the Father and the Son are one. If you want to see the Father, you got to look at Jesus. If you want to see the Son, you got to look at Jesus because they are one. Amen. Paul wrote in Hebrews and said that Jesus is the expressed image of the invisible God. Somebody say everlasting Father. Look at somebody and tell them he's the everlasting Father. What a comforting name. What a comforting name, Everlasting Father. Everything about us is fleeting. Everything about us is changing and temporary. Young people, listen to me. You're feeling as best as you're ever going to feel. Don't y'all shout me down when I'm preaching good. You're feeling as good as you'll ever feel. It's all downhill after this. Enjoy it while you can. I'm going to tell you, you're looking about as good as you're ever going to look. After a while, gravity is going to take hold. Skin is going to start sagging. You're going to wake up in the mornings and your joints walking through the house is going to sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, and pop your way to the refrigerator, up to the coffee pot you go as you wait on that hot brown liquid to fall. Amen. Effort to your cup from the crushed black beans to give you enough energy to walk outside and face the rising sun. And without it, you will think you can do nothing. And it won't change. You can't reverse it. There is no fountain of you. It doesn't matter what you do. You were born to die. You are now in reverse. Amen. Everything that go, that, that was going one direction is now going. You can do whatever you want to do. You can lotion it. You can dye it, fry it. Amen. You can nip it and tuck it and sew it and suck it. It doesn't matter. Amen. This body is going to the grave. This body was born to die. Everything is changing, but let me tell you something. The one by whose name we call the everlasting Father. He is the unchanging one. He is the one that heaven and earth shall pass away but he he and his word will never pass away. It's no wonder that Napoleon Bonaparte while reviewing his army before the pyramids of Egypt said and I quote there is nothing lacking here and then catching his breath and gasping he added except permanence. In other words what he was saying was everything is fleeting and every moment is changing. What is life but a vapor that it is here one moment and it is gone the next. Amen. I'm glad that in the midst of my life I can say he is the everlasting father 
It is startling to see to see how the things of earth come to naught. How things that are of value today can be gone tomorrow. Where are the pharaohs of the great pyramids today? Where are the men, a man who built one of the most wonderful kingdoms that the world had ever seen? I'll tell you where they are. They were they are withered old mummies. A man in a glass case in a British museum somewhere. Where are the Caesars today that commanded fear and obeisance around the world uh, just centuries ago I'll tell you where they are they are nothing but dust that helps to form the streets of, uh, of Italy and Rome today where is Nebuchadnezzar today in his glorious kingdom and his palaces and all their splendor and all of his wealth and opulence where is he today well we can't even find the exact place of his kingdom or his burial think about it today in your pocket is a coin, a man, and always on the first Sunday of the month, I know it's there, there is a coin in your pocket upon which is engraved past presidents, their name or, or their likeness upon that coin, but where are they today? They're in a grave somewhere. Even the metal on that coin is beginning to wear out. Today, you and I sit on church chairs and pews who, who minister, those of us who minister, we stand behind pulpits, but to Tomorrow, if the Lord tarries, we will all be gone. This building will be turned to dust. Everything that we know will be rubble if the Lord tarries his coming for 10,000 years. Life as we know it will cease to be as it is today for kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. Nations have risen and nations have fallen. A thousand years from today, there'll be no stars and stripes. There'll be no battle hymn of the republic for everything that rises as falls because it is cyclical in the order of God but there is one thing that never changes there is one thing that never fails and it is the everlasting father amen Amen. I, I know on Christmas Sundays uh, I'm usually done in about 15 minutes. Amen. Next Sunday uh, it'll be an abbreviated service. We're going to deduct my time. Amen. Next Sunday. Amen. But I want you to realize something. Even Job in Job 14 and 14. Uh, amen. We bury our loved ones in graves and, 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 and one asks us like Job did, if a man die shall he live again? The infidel has no answer to this question. Amen. The atheist has no answer to this question the worldly wise will say at best we just don't know but God's living word tells us amen that, that he who, who to whom he is the everlasting father he reassures us in John 11 and 25 through 26 and says I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die because when you know him as the everlasting father there's everlasting life there are moments and I, I confess to you and I hope it doesn't shatter your faith but there is moments I do look in the mirror amen and say where has the time went and what shall I be in 30 years or 50 years but here's what I know whether these bones stand upright on this earth or they are buried in the ground, 
What is the real Timothy James Wisenat will not be on this earth, but it will be somewhere in eternity. And by God's grace and by every effort I have, I'm going to be with him throughout eternities eight long. Amen. Singing the songs of Zion and worshiping him forever. And finally, finally, we come to the fifth name. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, the angels appeared unto the shepherds as they watched their flocks by night. And this is what they said in Luke 2 and 14. And I'll read this from the American Standard Version. It says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men in whom he is well pleased. Because the Bible says he is the prince of peace. It was Christ himself who said to his own in John 14 and 27, he says these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because if your peace is in Wall Street, if your peace is in a political party, if your peace is wrapped up in a home, a career, a job, or health, you're going to lose that peace. But Jesus said, I'm, I'm not just giving you any peace. I'm giving you my peace. My peace I leave with you. A peace that can hang on a cross. Amen. And, and never curse God. A peace that can pray in the garden. Amen. And never lose faith. He said, my peace I leave with you. The peace of, that Jesus gives to the redeemed includes three pieces, the peace with God, the peace of God, and peace on earth. I don't got time to go through all of these, but Romans 5 and 1 says, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, uh, 1 and 20, and Ephesians 2, 14, says, having made peace through the blood of his cross, he is our peace. The sad truth is that many of God's born-again children do not know what it means to have the peace of God in a restless and a troubled world. We are saved by grace for all of eternity, yet we worry and fear and fret and stress about what tomorrow may bring. While all this time God loves us and he longs for us to rest in his sure promises, amen, that his grace is sufficient for every need that we will ever encounter in this life. Through the Apostle Paul, amen, he bids everyone who has been redeemed to heed his admonition in Philippians 4 and 6 through 7 when he writes and says, be careful for nothing. The word careful means anxious. He literally says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God and the peace of God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And in that coming day which seems to even be at our doors the Lord Jesus the Prince of Peace will come in glory to establish peace on earth which will be a literal worldwide and abiding peace as he establishes his kingdom upon the earth. 
Isaiah 2 and 4 declares the day will come when the Lord Jesus shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up against, lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There's coming a day when the UN will not exist. They're useless now, but they'll be even more useless then. There's coming a day where there'll be no need for a Geneva Convention. There'll be no need for a NATO because in that day they will beat their swords into plowshares because Jesus Christ will reign in glory on this earth and it will be an earth. It will be an earth of peace. Brothers and sisters, listen to the Christmas chime as it as it rings out this morning. And what beautiful chimes are ringing out. Amen. They peel out the good tidings of great joy. They sing out as the echo of the angels still resound throughout the atmosphere to the shepherds on the Judean hills on that first Christmas night. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Amen. I'm so glad that I know the only begotten. I'm so glad that I know Jehovah. I'm so glad I know El Shaddai. I'm glad I know that his name is Jesus. I'm glad to know that he is wonderful. He is counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. The psalmist from many centuries ago prophetically sang in Psalms 9 and 10 and he said, and they that know thy name and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. As the musicians come, I want to close this story with a beautiful account and a true story that happened many years ago in 1875. I'm talking about the Prince of Peace. I'm, I'm talking about the five names of the Christmas child. A beautiful story of a song that gave glory to God on a Christmas Eve many years ago has been printed in a little tract entitled When Sankey Sang the Shepherd's Song on Christmas Eve. I, I implore you, go find it. By It's a beautiful, true story. And I'm going to quote it all in its entirety. I tried to abbreviate it, but it's too beautiful. I can't leave any of it out. And I'm going to quote it in its entirety because it gives, it gives glory to the Christ of Bethlehem and the Christ of the cross at the same time. It happened on that Christmas Eve in the year of 1875, Ira D. Sankey, to whom God had given wonderful power to sing as he worked with Dwight L. Moody was traveling by steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a calm, starlit evening, and there were many passengers gathered on deck. Mr. Sankey was asked to sing, and as always, he was perfectly willing to do so. He stood there, leaned against one of the great funnels of the boat, his eyes raised to the starry heavens in quiet prayer. His intention was to sing a Christmas song, but somehow... He was driven to sing the old song, the shepherd's song. And the words of that song are as such. Savior, 
like a shepherd lead us. Much we need thy tenderest care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus. Thou hast bought us, we are thine. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin, defend us. Seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be, that thou mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, we will early turn to thee. Early let us seek thy favor. Early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our bosoms fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us. Love us still. There was a deep stillness on the deck of that boat that night. Words and melody welling from the singer's soul floated out over the deck in the quiet river. Every heart was touched. After the song was ended, a man with a rough, weathered, beaten face and a dark southern drawl came up to Mr. Sankey and asked, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, answered Mr. Sankey, in the spring of 1860. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, answered Mr. Sankey with much surprise. So do I, said the stranger. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away here from here alive. And I raised my musket and I took aim. As I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling on you, at that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. Music, especially song, had always been a power, had a wonderful power over me. And so I took my finger off the trigger. I let him sing his song to the end and I said to myself, I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events and my bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang then was the song Sir, that you just sang now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. The words stirred up memory in my memories in my heart. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sang that very song to me. But she had died all too soon. Otherwise, much of my life would no doubt be different than it is today, sir. When you finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim at you. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. He said, sir, my arm of its own accord dropped limply at my side. Since that time, I have wandered far. But when I saw you just now, Standing there praying as on that other occasion, I recognize you. 
And my heart was wounded by your song. I wish you could help me find a cure for my sin-sick soul, sir. Deeply moved, Mr. Sankey threw his arms around the man who in days earlier had been his sworn enemy. And that Christmas Eve, the two went together, both to the manger at Bethlehem and the cross at Calvary as that old Confederate soldier poured his heart out to God on the riverboat that night. There the stranger found him who is the only Savior, the one of whom the angel and the prophet said centuries ago. And the angel of the Lord said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Yes, it's the five names of the Christmas child. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I want you to know this afternoon, whatever it is you're going through in your life, I want you to know his arm is not short and his ear is not deafened to your cry. I want you to just for a moment before we get to these altars, I want you to just lift up your hands to the Lord right now. I feel such sweet consolation in this place. I feel such a wonderful and a mighty God in this house right now. He's come to heal from any disease. He's come to set free and liberate from any bruise or any wound. Amen. This is why the Christ child has come. He's come to give us life and life everlasting. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Just for a moment, raise those hands. Amen. Prepare your heart because in just a moment we're going to open these altars. And I wonder who can come and both stand at Bethlehem's manger and at Calvary's cross. What is it that you have need of from the Lord today? For you will find it in those five names. He is the wonderful. He is the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. I want you to come to this altar right now as we open these altars for prayer. If you've got anything that you need of God, is your heart ridden with anxiety and fear? Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.